Welcome to episode 6 of the first season of American Opioid. If you just started listening to the podcast, you'll want to go back and start with episode 1. More information is available at www.americanopioid.org. The next morning, after Marjorie dropped Matt off at City Day Nursery, she drove to her workplace in High Falls, the polar opposite of where she lived in South End. It was amazing that the two areas were part of the same city. The attendant at the entrance to the gated community recognized her and waved her through. She passed by the spotless sidewalks and neatly manicured lawns until she pulled into the long driveway of her employers, a large, stately edifice with neo-Gothic architecture. A slim, blonde woman greeted her at the door. Hi, Marjorie. Arthur's finishing up breakfast. It was such a struggle getting him out of bed this morning. Everything involving Arthur was a struggle, Marjorie thought to herself. She stepped through the gargantuan space, across the living room that was triple the size of her entire trailer, and into the dining room where panoramic windows revealed an acre of leafy backyard. Hello, Arthur, Marjorie said to a toddler sitting at the solid oak dining table. Arthur babbled incoherently in reply. Marjorie set her things down and prepared to encourage him to finish as she did every weekday morning. I'm heading out, the blonde woman called from the living room. Agatha should be up in an hour or so. Text me if you can't find her dentures again, or if Arthur starts acting screwy. Sure thing. Bye, Cheryl, Marjorie said. She moved a chair next to Arthur's, then coaxed him to take in another mouthful of cereal. Look, it's so yummy, she said in a baby voice. So yummy. You know you want it. Yum, yum, yum. Marjorie drove all the way to High Falls to do this because the pay blew everything else out of the water and because she liked having a consistent nine-to-six job. There were so many others she knew who regularly had to scramble for a shift change with only 24 hours' notice. Lots of companies now rearranged shifts based on algorithms designed to maximize profits at the expense of workers' sanity. She could also avoid the other shenanigans, the yelling, the put-downs, the way a supervisor had leered at her whenever he thought she was looking the other way. At least here it was clean and safe, not to mention quiet and stress-free. And she was treated like a human being, after her car accident, Cheryl gave her plenty of time to recover before returning. A different employer would have probably fired her within a week. Marjorie had thought about applying for a child care provider license and hanging up her own shingle. That would allow her to babysit several children simultaneously, 
multiplying her sole stream of income. She would not have to commute, either. Parents would come to her to drop off and pick up their children, and Matt could be there with her, too. But she knew that no parent in High Falls would drive down to South End and deposit their kid into a trailer park for an hour, let alone a day. Her dream was to save up just enough to get herself a nice little place not too far from here, perhaps a condo or townhouse. The worst part of High Falls was still a heck of a lot better than almost anywhere in South End. Or at least, that was the perception. And in High Falls, perception was everything. In the meantime, Marjorie would continue to drop Matt off in the cheapest daycare center in the city, and then drive off to raise someone else's kid. The economic turnaround was raising property prices to stratospheric levels. That was why Marjorie was so angry at Sybil. The million-dollar payout in the trust would bring her dream within striking distance, but at the expense of Matt's potential. The words of the audiologist echoed in Marjorie's mind. The absence of sound will permanently compromise the neural architecture of the auditory cortex because small children have a critical closing window of development. If Matt had received the cochlear implant years earlier, his sound processing ability would not have been stunted. And now, the old woman was trying to force Marjorie to damage him even more. Sybil knew she was struggling financially and was deliberately blackmailing her. Sick. Just then, a wizened old crone trudged into the room, her hands grasping the rolling walker she was hunched over. Marjorie got up. Agatha, she scolded gently. You shouldn't do that without me helping you. Lovely to see you, Marjorie, Agatha replied. She cracked a smile. All gums. Marjorie would have to look for her dentures. Each day, Marjorie had three jobs. Babysit Arthur, make sure Agatha was still alive, and perform household chores like cooking and cleaning. Marjorie settled Arthur down in front of the television and began streaming the cartoon with the talking gerbil. Then she sat Agatha down for breakfast and went off to find her dentures. She breathed a sigh of relief when she saw them in plain sight on the dresser in Agatha's room. Last time, she had to search for nearly an hour before finding them tucked away on the carpet next to the phone charger. Agatha's room was the guest room downstairs because of her limited mobility. Marjorie handed Agatha the plastic case with the dentures inside, then prepared a bowl of oatmeal. Agatha beamed at Marjorie. Found a new husband yet? she asked. She always started the conversation in exactly that way. Still working on it, Agatha. A good man is hard to find. I still talk to my husband every day, Agatha said proudly. 
That's good, Marjorie murmured. Agatha's husband had been dead for half a decade. The cartoon Arthur was watching went to a brief commercial. On screen was a cute little robot that gyrated while chatting amiably with a toddler. Bringing you the latest in artificial intelligence. The more Robbie talks with your child, the more he learns and the smarter he gets, a voiceover announced. The cartoon returned to resolve the cliffhanger that had been there before the break. The gerbil had been caught by a cat, but now, instead of being eaten, appeared to be befriending it. Marjorie had once put that same cartoon on at home, just for kicks. She had noticed that the commercials were different, hawking products that were far less expensive. Marjorie smiled at the thought. They marketed low-end junk to a precocious boy in South End, while they've trumpeted fancier fare to the spoiled little runt gaping up at the screen here in High Falls. How ironic. Marjorie took out her phone. The advertisements for rehab facilities were not as noticeable and were mixed with generic copy. As she scrolled, she noticed that not a single place of business on the screen was based in High Falls. All were in South End. Before, there had been a fairly even split between the two. They had realized that she would never shop in High Falls. Their targeting was becoming sharper and smarter over time. As Agatha ate and Arthur watched, Marjorie stole upstairs and opened the dresser drawer that contained all of Agatha's particulars. Bottles of various pills, one for diabetes, another for cholesterol, yet another for high blood pressure. She ignored those and picked up the only bottle that mattered. Vicodin. The date on the bottle placed it right around Agatha's hip replacement surgery. Agatha had only taken about a third of them, and Marjorie had helped herself to the remainder. She unscrewed the cap, popped a pill into her mouth. She no longer needed water to swallow them. The very first Vicodin had been sublime, although it had made her very sleepy. Thank goodness she had tried it at home and not at work. But now she could pop a pill right at work and could keep herself awake with coffee. The pills were having less of an effect than they used to, and she was running out. She held the bottle up, glimpsed the handful of pills remaining, and felt a twinge of panic. After putting the Vicodin bottle back, Marjorie took out a plastic bag filled with small, identically shaped packets. She had seen the packets many times before when she prepared Agatha's pill at the beginning of each week, but was only seriously examining them now. She took out a packet, studied the text on the front. Fentanyl transdermal patch. When she had asked about the packets, Cheryl had said, Don't worry about them. The doctor prescribed them when Agatha dislocated a disc in her spine, but she's rarely used them since surgery. We keep them there just in case. Agatha, within earshot, had said, 
I don't like those things. They make my brain foggy. She had then resumed her conversation with her deceased husband, merrily speaking into thin air. Marjorie turned the packet over. Warning. Use only as directed by a medical professional. Do not use with alcohol. Unauthorized use is strictly prohibited. Marjorie slipped the packet into her pocket, then put the bag back into the drawer. At home in her trailer, with Matt buried in one of Sybil's books in the living room, Marjorie sat on the mattress in her bedroom with the door slightly ajar. She leaned back against the wall, which the mattress was pushed up against. Her gut tightened with a combination of excitement and dread. She tore the packet, pulled out the patch, unsealed it, then pressed it tightly against her skin. For a long time, nothing. Then, at last, a feeling of warmth at the sight of contact, expanding outward. Then relaxation, the dreamy euphoria, unrivaled by anything other than the hospital morphine. She giggled with pleasure. She kept the patch pressed against herself. Lovely, she whispered. Lovely, lovely, lovely. Her head slumped forward, and she dove down into the inky, sickly sweetness. When she raised her head, sunlight streamed in through the window. Matt was sleeping on her left. Bewildered, she glanced at the time on her phone. Oh no! She bolted up from the mattress and jumped into the shower. The patches were far too strong, she realized, as she sped up to High Falls after dropping Matt off at daycare. It was best to stay away from them in the future, or perhaps save them just for the weekend. As she got out of her car, she reached for her purse, only to grasp air. Standing outside the car, she ran her eyes over the front and back seats and floor space. Nothing. She must have left her purse at home. When it rains, it pours, she thought. Sorry I'm late, Marjorie said to Cheryl at the front door of the McMansion. Oh, no worries at all, Cheryl said. Glad you're here. She seemed distracted and avoided eye contact with Marjorie. Arthur is at breakfast, and Agatha just woke up. Cheryl took a few steps toward her car, turned back to Marjorie as if she wanted to say something else, hesitated, then turned and continued walking across the driveway. Marjorie felt a pang of guilt. Her lateness had made Cheryl late for work. After Marjorie got Arthur and Agatha settled down, she prepared a dish for lunch and put it in the oven. As she was sweeping the kitchen floor, Marjorie felt a moistness between her legs and knew that it would be followed by familiar cramps in her abdomen. Lord, right now, she thought. It had to start now. It was not supposed to happen for another week. What happened? She walked over to her purse to get a tampon, then remembered that her purse was at home. What a day. Marjorie went upstairs to find a tampon in Cheryl's room, 
only to discover that the door was locked. Strange. She had never remembered it being locked before. As she headed back toward the stairs, she passed by the drawer and could not help but glance inside. What the... she whispered. The Vicodin bottle was gone. She stared longingly at the empty space where it had been. Marjorie looked at the closed, locked door to Cheryl's room, then thought back to Cheryl's awkward behavior that morning. She had chalked it up to her own lateness, but now realized that Cheryl must have noticed the dramatic reduction in Vicodin pills. The plastic bag of fentanyl patches remained, however. Since Marjorie had only taken one, it still looked full. Cheryl must not have realized that those were far more potent than the Vicodin. Marjorie felt a trickle of blood running down the inside of her thigh. She hurried to the bathroom just as the first cramp hit, making her yelp. Not too long ago, her menstrual clamps were just an annoyance. Now, the pain was excruciating. She was far more sensitive to pain than before, she realized. Even the slightest prick felt like a stab. In the bathroom, Marjorie used toilet paper to clean herself up as best as she could. She cursed herself for not having her purse at hand. It contained not only her tampons, but also her chocolate, which she viewed as equally important in getting her through her periods. Marjorie was clutching something in her left hand. She opened it, revealing the packet on her palm. A fentanyl patch. She must have grabbed it unconsciously from the hallway drawer before going to the bathroom. She slipped it into her pocket, then went downstairs. Arthur sat on the floor, watching the gerbil show, while Agatha finished her breakfast. Marjorie opened the fridge, saw a bottle of wine that had just been opened, grabbed it, took a few sips. Another cramp hit Marjorie, and she bit her lip to keep from crying out. In the absence of any medication, the pain magnified until it blocked out everything. She found herself unable to focus on anything else. Where was the Vicodin? Marjorie, my dear? Agatha asked. You look so pensive. My husband thinks so too. I'm fine, Marjorie said quickly. Just a little tired, that's all. The bottle of wine seemed lighter in her hand than she remembered. She glanced down and discovered that she had drained it completely. After rinsing the inside of the bottle and discarding it in the recycling, Marjorie slipped into the downstairs bathroom, closing the door tightly behind her. As she removed the fentanyl patch from the packet, the damp feeling returned to her nether regions. Sighing, she lowered her pants and used toilet paper to clean herself again. There was already some staining on the inside of her panties. When Arthur was a baby, there had been plenty of diapers around, but none remained now that he was potty trained. She would have to do a quick drive to the store to get a tampon because this would just not do. But the pain was her bigger concern. 
It was reducing her capacity to think rationally. She unsealed the fentanyl patch, started sucking on it to get relief faster. The awful, bitter taste made her gag. But, knowing the splendid payoff, she kept at it, glanced down at the tender opening between her legs, which she wanted to keep dry and clean, then looked back at the patch. Rolled up, it did not look that different from a tampon. Same texture, similar absorptive properties, and it would give her quicker relief without the awful taste. The next cramp decided the matter. She gradually inserted the rolled-up patch into herself, waited for sweet, sweet relief to kick in. It was the right thing to do. She was sure of it. She deserved it. Several more minutes of throbbing pain as she leaned back against the wall of the bathroom and breathed deeply. Then, a gradual diminishing. And then, at long last, the good times rolled in and all was dandy and well. Laughing at how quickly the pain had completely evaporated, she shuffled out of the bathroom, wondering why her stride was so limited, why it was taking her longer than usual to head back to the living room. She plopped down on the couch, felt the cool leather against her buttocks and the backs of her thighs. She had never experienced that exact sensation before. Arthur had turned his head and was now looking back at her, eyes wide, the gerbil cartoon completely forgotten. His gaze moved from her cheery face down to her fully exposed crotch, to her bare legs, to the pants and blood-stained panties pooled around her ankles, then back up to her face, then down to her crotch again. There, the gaze remained. His face scrunched up, and he began to cry. Marjorie looked down and froze. She had forgotten to pull her pants back up. She needed to do that as soon as possible. She made a note of it in her mind, but it was hard to stay focused on anything. Marjorie? Agatha said from the dining room table. That is not dignified. No, not dignified at all. She turned to her invisible husband. Don't let me catch you looking, Charles. I mean it. No more hanky-panky. We talked about this. Marjorie's mind continued swimming in a syrupy haze. This was better than last time, better than even the hospital morphine. She wished it would last forever and ever and... This concludes Season 1. The narrative will resume in Season 2 of American Opioid. Your feedback is much appreciated. 
please submit comments in the contact section of the American Opioid website at www.americanopioid.org. See you next time on Season 2 of American Opioid. Take care.